Uh, what I want to do again is begin by reading from God's Word. Uh, just a reminder, as we all have deceitful hearts, we've all woken up this morning and our hearts have already been feeding us lies. And so hearing something we know is true, uh, to realign our, our fallen hearts, to get us thinking correctly as we go on about our day. Um, so I know some of you might have been annoyed with this, but standing for the reading of God's Word again, I'm going to look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you have these verses memorized. Um, I'm not go going to have them up there. You can turn there if you want to. You can just listen if you'd like to. But what I want you to do is that, you know, th these verses, especially ones we're familiar with, especially those that we've, we've memorized, uh, we can sometimes, they just become kind of rote. We just say them and we don't really think about it. And so I want you to think about these two verses in light of anxiety. Right, to, to think about when, when Proverbs is telling us to trust in the Lord, that's kind of implying that, that this is a, a time or, or we're being told this uh, when we're being challenged in our trust. That, that it's implying that when somebody says, hey, trust me, it's usually something risky going on or something else is, you know, causing us to have a lack of trust. And we're told not to lean on our own understanding to see that oftentimes as we're giving in to our anxieties, that's us leaning on our own understanding. That our circumstances are telling us to worry and to foster this lack of trust in, in God. So again, kind of seeing these with, with fresh eyes a little bit, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, then I'll have you sit and I'll pray for us. So this is God's word, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Y'all can be seated and I'll pray. God, you are trustworthy. God, you are good. You are powerful. You are gracious. And you are deserving of all trust because of that. Uh, because your character uh, communicates that to us. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, you are a faithful God to an unfaithful people, that we are a people, as we looked at yesterday, as we're going to, to talk about more today, we are a rebellious people. Now, we're a, a people who put our faith in so many other things, who put our trust in so many other things, that, that our own understanding oftentimes is telling us, you can't be trusted. But yet even... Even though we do that, uh, you still remain faithful, and you still remain gracious, and you still pursue children who have a lack of trust in you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that we would see the ways in which we lean on our own understanding uh, in our daily life so often, uh, that we would repent of those things, that we'd bring those to you that we would see your fatherly characters we talked about today, that you welcome repentant, rebellious children, uh, that we would repent of those things, and that you would give us the grace to trust you more, 
to, to see and to know your, your godly uh, character, how you provide for us each and every day. Uh, we, we don't have, have this in our own strength. We can't just try harder to trust you more. We need your grace. We need your spirit. And so, Spirit, we call upon you to, to give us that trust. Spirit, we call upon you now to, to help us as we look at uh, your scriptures today, to look more specifically at what Christ said about anxiety, that you would open your word to us, that you would teach us. Uh, we know, as your scriptures tell us, there is a real devil who absolutely hates God, who hates Christians, who hates the Bible, and, and will do anything in his power to distract us from hearing from it. So, Spirit, I pray for protection against us, that you would uh, protect us from the evil one who snatches up those seeds of truth, uh, that you would allow your word to go forth, uh, that you would encourage the believers that are here, that you would uh, be with those unbelievers that are present and help them to see the beauty of your gospel and to, to surrender their lives to uh, the true King and Lord over their lives, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so just some quick review. What, what did we talk about yesterday? What are some things that we uh, discussed, uh, some things that you remember that come to, come, come to mind when you think about yesterday? And I know some of you are thinking, like, what did we talk about yesterday? I'm barely surviving today, John. I had hardly any sleep last night. Who went to bed after 1 a.m., by the way, last night? Anybody? Who went to bed after 2 a.m.? Anybody? Wow. 3 a.m.? Okay. <laughs> Anybody stay up all night? All right, should have prayed a little harder for some of you. Um, so yeah, what are some things we talked about yesterday? You can shout them out. You can raise your hand. Yes. Good. Okay, there's a sense in which our anxiety is being controlling, right? That we want to control people around us. We want to control our circumstances. And so there's a sense that as we dig down into that, um, it, it's being controlling. We're trying to play God in a sense. What are some other things we said? Yeah, the things that happen to us physically uh, when, when we begin to feel worried. Um, our hearts races, you know, our, our palms can get sweaty, shortness of breath, the tightening of the chest, looking at even, you know, where some of those words came from, the old English words we looked at yesterday. Good. What are some other things? Okay, we're all afraid. That's one thing we, we looked at from Genesis 3. Sin comes into creation. Every one of us is afraid. Uh, we don't need to try to play that off and act like we aren't. We're all afraid. Someone, something. What was the, the second truth we talked about? Okay, and we're all hiding. Again, Adam and Eve, they said they were afraid, Genesis 3, and they hid. And so, you're all hiding. We're hiding in some way, whether it's behind our personality, whether it's behind our accomplishments, whether it's kind of escaping into, you know, binge watching on Netflix, things like that. We're all hiding. Good. Good job. And good job talking. I know sometimes uh, people can be a little intimidated doing that. So good, good job. Look, today, what we're going to be answering, what we're going to be looking at is why are we so stressed? All right. Yesterday, we, we kind of defined, and if you remember, I'm going to be using 
the word stress, anxiety, worry kind of interchangeably. So why are we so an- <coughs> excuse me, anxious? Why are we so worried? Why are we so stressed? And, and kind of the, the main theme that I want to get at today is kind of look at a theology of pain and a theology of suffering. And I know some of you are thinking, great, that's what I love to talk about at 9.30 in the morning, pain and suffering. Um, we're going to be looking at that a little bit today and then also tomorrow. Um, and I know it's not fun to talk about, just the theology of pain, that doesn't get us excited. But here's a question, would suffering go away if I didn't talk about it? No. It's something we have to deal with. Um, it's something that's just part of this world that we're in. And so getting us to think a little bit more about, okay, what does Scripture tell us about pain and suffering? And so as I said yesterday, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6 today, verses 25 through 34. Some of you may be able to see this. Some of you might not. I know we've got a screen up there, too. If you have Bibles, you can open up to it. Uh, just giving you a little bit of context here. Uh, this is, I mean, one, this is kind of the go-to section on anxiety. Uh, when you think of just a Bible passage talking about anxiety, oftentimes Matthew 6 is kind of uh, the first one. Luke has a parallel passage that talks about this. There's obviously plenty of other places in Scripture that are talking about this, but this is the one many people point to. This is during the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5 begins with the Beatitudes, and then 6, and then chapter 7 is all the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus Christ talking. Um, I want to be cautious even saying that, that, you know, I know many of us have Bibles that have red letters, and and what people say is just being cautious of that. We don't need to treat these words as more significant than other words in Scripture, that God wrote every single word in the Bible, so it's all God's word, but just kind of for the sake of context, I'm telling you, this is Jesus Christ speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34 This is God's word. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, a you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now look, somebody read that last sentence out loud. Not the last verse, the last sentence. Somebody want to read that loudly? Not everybody at once. Come on, you can do it. We're getting anxious. Nobody's reading. 
Good job. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, now, what is that saying? None of you woke up today and said, hey, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And you don't talk like that. What is Jesus saying when he says sufficient for the day is its own trouble? Somebody tell me. That's right. Good. You've got enough to worry about today, so don't start thinking about tomorrow. And look, let's bring sufficient for the day is its own trouble to this room, okay? To this conference, to Laguna Beach Christian Retreat 2019. What's today? July 10th? Okay, what does that mean for today? Get very specific. Do you know what it means? Some of you might vomit today. I told you I'm getting specific. And just remember, drink water, okay? That's what Kurt tells you. I'm sorry, Ron tells you every night. The MC, Kurt was MC last week. Drink water. People throw up every year at this conference from not drinking water. Uh, what else does it mean? You might get sunburned today. Actually, no, you probably won't because there's going to be a storm today. Um, so some of you, if you played Gaga Ball, how many of you have torn your knuckles up on the Gaga Ball? Let's see, how many? Several hands going up. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You might break your ankle today. Okay? I know we don't like to talk about any of this, but is all of that a reality? Could that possibly happen, everything I just said? Yes. Right? That, that is true. And so Jesus Christ, as I said, is actually acknowledging in this passage, look, there's a lot of bad stuff that could happen today. Okay, that, that's just the reality of the world that we live in. And so that's why Jesus is saying, look, don't even get to tomorrow yet. Okay? Just stay here today because there's enough that you're going to have to deal with. That this, this life is difficult. This life is challenging. This life is painful. So Jesus, again, isn't downplaying the reality of these fears that we have. He, he's not downplaying the reality that we are going to be tempted to be anxious, but yet he still says, do not be anxious. Even though he acknowledges there's plenty to be anxious about. So how can he say that? Let, let, let me share this story with you, and this is the best I could do for like an instant message story that I'm sharing. So it just took me three hours to find this picture. Um, right out of college, I worked for an insurance company for a little over a year, and I there were, I don't know, six, 700 employees in this office, and it was several stories. And so we had our own instant message uh, program that was just for this office. So if somebody on, you know, the second floor needed to talk to somebody on the, the fifth floor, you could just send them a message. It was, um, you know, very convenient for us. And I was in a group of probably six others who were right out of college, and uh, we'd hang out at all the breaks, and we had a cafeteria we'd eat together. And in this group... There was always a, a lot of gossip, it seemed like, going on. Um, I think I was the only believer out of this group, tried by God's grace to, to be an example at times. This is a story where I was not a good example. 
Um, this one girl in our group, I'm calling her Sally. If your name's Sally out there, I'm sorry, I'm just picking that name out. Nothing against you, Sally. Um, but this girl, Sally, uh, she had done something that really annoyed the group. And everyone was kind of justifiably angry at Sally. And after we had our little break, uh, we got back to our, our cubicles, which those were fun, by the way. And I was IMing one of the guys in the group, and we were talking about Sally. Um, to get more specific, we were gossiping about Sally. We were not talking nice about Sally. And so we're going back and forth over this message. And as I sent my last message uh, to my friend, he didn't reply. I thought that was kind of strange because we were going back and forth very quickly. Several minutes had passed, and I was thinking, I wonder why he didn't reply. And then Sally messaged me because I accidentally messaged Sally and not my friend. See, we were talking about Sally, and just when I was thinking about Sally, I entered her name into the, the recipient of the message, and I said everything about her to her through that message. That's awkward, right? I had to talk to Sally. We worked through it and, you know, resolve the situation. Um, but it was uncomfortable. All right? And, and I'm sure something like that has happened to you. I'm sure some of you, maybe you've texted the wrong person as you're gossiping about them. Maybe through some social media platform, you shared something that maybe you didn't intend to share, or maybe you shared something with someone you meant to share it to, and then you ended up going to the other person. Whatever the case, you've probably done something similar to that. Or maybe you've simply just been talking about somebody behind their back, and then they walk into the room, and you didn't realize that they were in the room right behind you, hearing everything you said. And so we need to see that as we're talking about kind of a theology of pain, that there's a spectrum that we're talking about, okay? And maybe on one end of the spectrum, kind of the milder end, is just awkwardness. Like that was awkward what happened between myself and, and Sally. But, but awkwardness, we can kind of throw that word out, it's, it's kind of painful. Like maybe if you've watched The Office before, um, to me, that was kind of the first show that really just did such a good job of making you feel awkward. And it's kind of like, oh, I kind of don't want to watch this, but I kind of can't look away at the same time. And it's kind of funny at the same time because it's not happening to me. We kind of feel what these characters are going through at times. But you need to see, even though that's kind of mild, it is a form of, of pain. And then kind of to the other end of the spectrum would be major affliction, sickness, death. We'll talk about that a little bit more um, tomorrow, but even, even though these daily, you know, pains and afflictions, whatever end of the spectrum it falls on, even though these daily things that we go through, Jesus, in the midst of it all, still says, don't worry. Even though he knows these things are a reality. Even though he knows, I mean, here's a, a magazine cover. Time magazine had this, anxiety, depression, and the modern adolescent. And it was talking about how teens, you guys, are having increased levels of anxiety. Um, this came out, you can't see the date at the top, November 
2016. Can anyone tell me what was going on November 2016? Presidential election. This was more newsworthy than that. That's not any kind of political statement. That's just saying this is a big deal. What this is telling us and what other researchers have told us, there's books back on the book table there, uh, one by Gene Twangy, who says teenagers today are experiencing anxiety, depression, four times the rate of previous generations. She says, you guys are on the brink of the largest mental health crisis in United States history. You guys, teenagers, and those in college as well. And so a question I have is, why? Like, it's not like, hey, we just discovered this new thing called anxiety, and you guys are dealing with it. Jesus Christ was talking about anxiety all the way back in the Sermon on the Mount. Anxiety, all of that stuff is going on. Genesis 3, forward. So this is nothing new, but what is it about your generation that has made this huge spike four times as high as any generation in United States history? And so what I want to do is I want us to zoom in on your daily lives. I want us to think about your schedules, to think about and to try to kind of highlight some of, okay, what, what is the source of this? Getting us to reflect on it a little bit. Um, I would say this would cover many of your schedules, something just like this. I know you might have some other things that you, you would add, but I mean, you, you're all doing school for the most part. If that's homeschool, public school, private school, whatever that is, you have extracurricular activities. It could be sports. It could be some kind of club that you're a part of. Uh, some of you have jobs. Some of you do service opportunities. I know there are schools in my area um, require community service hours. So maybe some of you have that. Um, so I would say, you know, this is kind of a full day. If you think of all that school encompasses, I mean, there's homework after school, extracurriculars before school, after school. This would be many of your schedules, you know. Also, maybe some optional things. Do you have any time for family? Um, I know that could be defined in a lot of different ways, but do, do you ever get to sit down with your family at a, at a dinner table? Also know that there are broken homes in a group this size, for sure. But, but studies show that even not having family time can actually create more stress in your life. Some of you are like, family time actually creates more stress in my life, not the other way around. Um, every home, obviously, struggles with that. Do you have any time just for fun? Leisure, kind of no structure. Do you have anything like that in your life? Um, do you have time for church? I know that can kind of step on some toes, but to see that church can become an optional thing for many of us. Uh, you know, I've got to study for this test. I've got to get this project turned in. I've got to, to show up for practice or I won't play. I'll get kicked off the team. And so those things seem like such a requirement. Church can kind of become this optional thing. So just kind of thinking about your daily lives, but really what I want to do, this is kind of the, the external schedule. You know, this is what we can just kind of see right here. This is what you see on paper. What I want to do is I want to zoom in on kind of the mental, the emotional, the physical of your schedules. To, to get at your schedule, in a sense, at 
the heart level. To see what many of you are dealing with. To, as we think about school, some of the, you know, the pressure is keeping a GPA. Uh, some of you stressed about, okay, how many AP classes you're going to have in your schedule. Knowing, okay, I've got to have this number of AP classes um, on my resume to compete with so-and-so because you're trying to be maybe valedictorian or something. It's affecting all of that. GPA, so you can get into this college. And so you've got a lot of mental stress on you to try to keep the grades. Grades can be a very important thing, but maybe your GPA is an idol that you're bowing down to. We've got to be questioning our heart because if it is an idol, I guarantee you, as any idol is going to do, it's going to destroy you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to give you fulfillment. It cannot do that. And so just getting you to even reflect on your GPA because I do want to say that obviously we should be challenged by our academics. There's a sense in which every year as you get older, you're most likely going to have more pressure put on you because you're becoming an adult. And so some of this is just you're growing up where you might look back and be like, okay, last year I used to get stressed about this kind of stuff, but I don't anymore because I actually had more put on me and I'm learning to deal with more. So you've got to see that some of that is just normal growing up, learning to deal with stuff. But you've also got to look at your schedules and see, maybe I am doing too much. And maybe some of this stress is God trying to say, hey, slow down, be cautious, don't overcommit. But kind of thinking about that, look, as we look at extracurriculars, just taking sports, for example, they are a gift from God. Um, if some of you were in uh, my elective last year, the body of believers talking about a theology of the body that our bodies, the Bible tell us, do not belong to us. Which your body is not yours, and that's incredibly offensive to this world. That's what the Bible says. Your body doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. And so we are to take care of our bodies, to steward our bodies. Sports can do that. Sports can help us take care of our bodies. But what you have to see is that sports do take a physical toll on your body. That you're using this body God has given you, but God has also designed the body in a way that actually needs rest. Some of this is just common sense. I mean, think about it this way. If any of you lift weights at all, there's a sense in which lifting weights doesn't build muscle. Okay, that when you're actually lifting weights, you're tearing your muscles to pieces. And it's the rest that actually builds muscle. That if you actually just worked out the same muscle every single day, it would never get stronger, it would never get bigger, and it would most likely get injured. Just common sense. You actually need rest because your bodies were created for that. And so sleep specialists say that teenagers need about nine hours of sleep a night. We can all go ahead and laugh at that. <laughs> I mean, they're just specialists. What do they know, right? And, and I know everyone's catching up on their sleep at RYM this week, right? We're all able to sleep in, going to bed early. Um, but, but 
nine hours of sleep a night. Um, I read this recently. Uh, some of these athletes, does anyone know who this is? Who is it? Roger Federer. There was a time where he was the number one tennis player in the world. I mean, just imagine that. That wherever he walked, wherever he went, if he was walking through an airport and saw thousands of people, if he walked into a stadium filled with, you know, 100,000 people, he could be like, I can beat every one of you at this sport. Every human he ever saw, he knew he was better than every one of them at this one sport. That's crazy to think about. He's still playing at a high level now, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he's number one, right? Anybody know that? Number three. Slacker. Number three in the world. Um, he gets 12 hours of sleep a night. 12 hours. Now, I'm not telling you, okay, if you start sleeping 12 hours a night, you're going to be the number one tennis player in the world. He's obviously got some other gifts that go along with that. But he recognizes that sleep is important. Who is this? Usain Bolt. Does anybody know, is that his real last name? Or did he change that? Because that's, a, that's awesome. If he just grew up with the last name Bolt and he became the fastest man on the planet. Um, he gets eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. Eight to 10 hours. Anyone know who this is? LeBron James. Listen, 12 hours of sleep a night. And some of you might be thinking, okay, I follow him on Instagram. There's no way he's getting 12 hours. But in some way, I don't know if that's just 12 hours straight, he, he's sleeping. He's making sure he gets rest. There's a friend of mine who played in the NFL, and he uh, played for the Patriots. He said they have a sleep doctor who analyzes every single player on that team, uh, analyzes their sleep patterns, tells them how much sleep they need to give. They have a sleep room you know, in their locker room that's always dark. There's no... Phones that are loud in there where, where athletes are getting sleep. So professional athletes know their body is their greatest asset and they have to take care of it. And so getting sleep is just kind of one of those common, common sense things. But the, the thing you have to realize is, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're not getting sleep, that's probably why you're anxious. That could be one of the reasons. And again, this is very practical. If you went into your doctor to talk about this kind of stuff, those are some of the first things they're going to ask. You know, diet, exercise, sleep. I mean, those are kind of the things they, they look at. But it could be that that's where some of your source of anxiety is. Think about the relationships in your life. Relationships are a good gift from God. Okay, we are created for relationships. Some of you know this. I mean, we're created in the image of God, and God is three, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we are hardwired for these relationships. But getting us to think about the challenges of relationships. Relationships are difficult. They're not easy. I talked about the home a minute ago. Just think about the emotional climate of your house. As you walk into your house, is it a place you feel restful? You feel relaxed? Is it a place you feel like you can kind of let your guard down? Every family, every household is going to have arguments, is going to have relational difficulties. So we've got to see, even though we have these good gifts, we have friendships, <clears throat> we're going to have challenges. And honestly, 
the better friends you have, will pro- they'll probably confront you about certain things. If they're a true friend, they're going to say, look, this is awkward and this is uncomfortable to talk about, but I'm confronting you on this because I love you. I'm confronting you on this, even though it's not easy to talk about. And so we have, you know, this tension, this emotional anxiety that we're dealing with for many of our relationships. I mean, we've got this relational baggage with all of these. I mean, think about the teachers in your life. Think about the coaches in your life. They're good teachers. They're bad teachers. They're good coaches. They're bad coaches. Both of my parents are teachers, so I'm pro teacher. My um, uncle is a coach. So I'm pro, go coaches, I like coaches. Here's a story of a bad example of a a coach in my life. Uh, When I was in high school and I was playing football, we all had lockers uh, to put our equipment in, and um, one of the coaches gave me a combination uh, to my locker. And I went over to the locker, and the lock didn't unlock. I had to go back to the coach get the combination again. I went back to the locker. It still didn't unlock. I tried it again. I went back to him again, had to get it, went back, and it did not unlock. And I was thinking, okay, there's a lot of chaos in the locker room. He's dealing with a lot. He's getting stressed. He's already annoyed. I had to go back this many times, but I had to go back again. I said, what was that combination? And he blew up. He cussed me out in front of the entire team. It was humiliating. He ran over to my locker in a rage, and as he was unlocking my locker, I saw his clipboard. He had given me the wrong combination to my lock, and he didn't even realize it. He didn't realize the error. I was the only one who knew, like, this was an injustice. I did nothing wrong, and I was humiliated in front of the whole team, and I say that to say I never shared that with anyone. Like, I never told my parents about that. I never really talked to my friends about that. And so I I just kind of kept that to me. And I say that to say, what relational baggage are you carrying around? I'm certain you've been mocked. You've been made fun of. There's been some kind of injustice that's happened to you. And many of you are just keeping that in. And you're just walking around. And as we say, relational baggage, I mean, think of a bag, right? You're carrying around something that's heavy. And you're not letting go of it. And so some of you have this anxiety over just relational baggage that you're carrying around in your life. As we think of some other relationships in our life, I hope many of you have a relationship with a youth pastor in your life, a youth worker a godly mentor at your church, um, some older godly person in your life. But I also know, too, you know, as I, I served 15 years in student ministry, I had to confront students who were using drugs. I had to confront students who were in sexual sin. And as I, I read God's word, I see that I'm charged as a shepherd to talk, about, talk to students about difficult things, to, to quote-unquote get in their business, which ultimately isn't their business, because we, none of us ultimately have private lives, okay? 
You've got to know that all of your lives are lived out before God. He sees absolutely every aspect of that. And so if I truly loved these students, I would have to go to them at times and say, look, what you're doing is destroying you. I know this is uncomfortable to talk about, but it's because I love you that we're having this conversation. And look, I can tell you, many of those conversations created anxiety in my life. (laughs) Those conversations are not fun. Those are conversations I would rather not have to deal with. But again, conviction from what God's word says, I have to. And so having these people in your life might create some good anxiety, okay? I'm not saying anxiety is good. Let me clarify. We're getting into something we call the conscience. This is very important. Every one of you has a conscience that God has given you. God has given you something called a conscience that is a gift to you. And if you're indulging in sin behind closed doors, if you're continually indulging in a specific sin and you think no one knows this, no one sees me, you're most likely going to be anxious because your conscience is saying, stop doing this. Your conscience is saying, this is wrong. Your conscience is saying, you're destroying yourself. And so really, this wouldn't be anxiety. We might put this in the category of godly sorrow. Because your conscience knows what's right and what's wrong. And so it's telling you that this is is destroying you. And so you might feel this increased level from stress because of what's going on in your life. And we also know, too, I mean, another category of just relationships that we're often dealing with are enemies, bullies in your life. Sometimes we don't like to use that label. We think it sounds too harsh to label someone an enemy in your life. But we have those people who just mock us who just make fun of us. And sometimes they'll say, oh, I'm just kidding. But every time you're around them, you're like, I feel horrible because this person just doesn't make me, uh, it doesn't encourage me. And so when we think of those things we can be picked on for, I mean, one thing is body image. Such a a prevalent thing. This is a, a, a Time Magazine article. I don't know, some of you might know that Barbie has four different body types now. That there was... You know, back in the day when she had one body type, just the unrealistic expectations that was putting on females of our society. And so they've modified Barbie's body. And I bring this up. I know this can be an awkward thing to talk about, but I'm talking about it because our world never stops talking about it. You cannot go anywhere where you're not being fed some kind of message about what you should look like, whether that's on Instagram, whether that's a billboard on the side of the road, whether that's going down an aisle at the grocery store and you see magazine articles, they're constantly talking to you, telling you you've got to look like this to have worth, which is a lie from the pit of hell. That's not where our value lies. But we have people that can make us feel less. And what we've got to to see as well that this pornography is causing much of this. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this or get detailed at all. 
But, but to know, I mean, if I'm just talking about statistics, if we're just solely going on statistics, 10 years of age is the average exposure to pornography now, which means statistically speaking, every one of you in here has seen pornography. It's that prevalent that it is growing among females. It's not just a male issue. And so we as a church need to, to see that and to, to let uh, females know that, uh, you know, many times as we've talked about this in the past, I think we've shamed females because we just said this is a male issue. And females can think, well, something's wrong with me because I, I'm not a male and I'm, I'm struggling with this. We've got to see that sin does not just designate itself to one gender, that males and females both can struggle in this area. There was a, a, count, a counselor who came on RYM's podcast who deals with sexual brokenness. And she says she's seeing more of this in her counseling. And so I bring up body image, I bring up pornography to say this is just one issue that causes guilt and shame in your life. And you've got to see that pornography is a wicked sin. It is not okay. okay even though our culture is trying to normalize it, it's not okay. It is a sin, so I just want to say that explicitly, but it is not too powerful for the blood of Jesus Christ, that there is forgiveness. You need to know that. You need to seek someone out to talk to about this. I know you're thinking, I don't want to talk to anybody about this. But sin grows in the dark. And so you are going to be walking around with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. If you're first and foremost not going to the cross with this sin, but then going to someone else and, and seeking out godly help. Again, we could talk more about that, but there's also doubt that goes along with, with much of us in our life. That maybe if, even if you're indulging in pornography, maybe you're doubting whether or not you're, you're truly a believer. Maybe you're confused over, okay, I have a repentant of this. Am I fighting against this or am I just indulging it? Maybe some of you, it's not even pornography. You're just growing up and you're thinking, do I even believe what my church has taught me? I've grown up in the church, but do I truly believe what it is that, that's been taught and so you've got a lot of emotional issues going on in your life. And so look, as, as we think about the reality that this is one day in your life, okay? If you were to check off those boxes, I would think most of you would check off all of those or most of those. Jesus Christ said, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is one day. This is simply one day you're going through in your life. And so giving you this theology of pain, and this class does go to 10 o'clock, right? Which is 10 o'clock right now. Isn't that right? Somebody help me if you've got a schedule. Okay, 10. I'm going to do this very quickly because we're going to continue this tomorrow. What you need to know when I talk about a theology of pain, you are theologians. Every one of you is a theologian. I'm not the first one to say that. R.C. Sproul has a book back there that says we are all theologians. Every human on the face of the earth is a theologian. Listen, when pain comes into your life, you will practice a theology. When pain comes into your life, you are going to practice a theology whether you know it or not. And what you've got to see is because of a, you have a soul inside of you, 
your soul has a knowledge of the Garden of Eden, perfection, and future glory, heaven. And your, your soul knows when pain comes about in your life, it's not supposed to be this way. Your soul is saying, this is not what I was created for. I was not designed to experience pain. When you walk through your house and you stub your toe on a chair and you scream, you're ultimately saying, I was made for heaven. You're saying, this is not normal. I was not supposed to do this. In heaven, we will not stub our toes. And that's just one minor thing that's awesome about heaven. But your soul is telling you, anytime pain comes about in your life, you were not created for this. And what happens too, because we are sinful and because we live in a sinful world, we not only suffer, and this is Paul David Tripp, he's got a book back there called Suffering. He says, we not only suffer, we suffer in our thinking about suffering. And so what many of you do when you have pain in your life, you think, I've done something to anger God and he's getting back at me. That's an incorrect theology of suffering. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. But I want you to see <clears throat> that you have a theology of pain you're already practicing. And so just asking this question, and I'm done, why are we so stressed? I hope what we've done <clears throat> today is kind of two things. One, many of you are stressed, and you're so stressed, you haven't even had the time to stop and think about why you're stressed. I hope by stopping and looking at some of your schedules, you've seen Wow, okay, the, here's some of the source of my stress. Here's some of what I'm dealing with on a daily basis. But then secondly, not only just kind of highlighting some of the source of your stress, to see you're normal. You're normal. To borrow a phrase from somebody else, anxiety is a normal part of an abnormal world that we live in a broken world that is going to cause anxiety in our lives. We live in a broken world where we're going to be tempted to be worried frequently. So don't think because you're stressed, something's wrong with you. Or because you're anxious, something's wrong with you. If you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling anxiety, oftentimes that's because your soul is saying, I was not created for this world. I was not created for something, for a life like this, okay? There's a lot more I want to say to clarify. I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow. People are lined up out there, so I need to hurry. Let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll leave. Father, we thank you that we can read Scripture like Matthew 6. We can hear that there is trouble in each and every day, but it can still be encouraging because we know you're trustworthy. We know you're with us, and your word doesn't sugarcoat life in a fallen world. It prepares us for life in a fallen world. Please Give us the grace to, to live out today in a way that's pleasing to you. It's in your name I pray, amen.